Welcome to the Law School Admissions Simplified Podcast, where we cut through the nonsense to talk about all things LSAT, law school admissions, and life-related. I'm Ben, and I do LSAT prep and law school admissions full-time. If you like what you hear here, you can find me on Instagram, where I post about admissions at LSA Simplified, or on my website, lsasimplified.com. I've written an LSAT book you can find on Amazon titled LSA Simplified LSAT Primer. I also host free LSAT sessions monthly, as well as paid monthly courses, tutoring, and on-demand options for LSAT preppers. Alrighty, so today we're going through a few things. Um, I have an interview with the current 1L at Syracuse at the uh, hybrid program. So that's exciting. And I'll be inserting that after I go through this quick agenda. Real quick, we're going to talk about LSAT addendums. I posted about this on Instagram this past week and got pretty interesting responses. So the first thing I'll do is read out the text of the post that I had, and then we'll break it down. So the post that I had was talking about basically how you should write an LSAT addendum. One of the tricky things about Instagram is you have these really short topics and it's hard to really put all the information out there. So the text of the post said, the issue with trying to explain your low GPA in an addendum is that everyone with a low GPA writes an addendum talking about it. And I continued in a second paragraph. You can do it well, but many fall flat on their face. Make sure to keep it fact-based and not talk about Gramadine. So the sentiment of that post is basically, one, everyone with a low GPA has a reason for it. So whatever reason you give is likely not as powerful as you think it is. Not because it's not true in real life. I have no idea whether you have a legitimate reason for your 2.9 or your 3.2 or whatever low GPA you have. But what I do know is that literally everyone applying with a low GPA is giving reasons. So unless you have very factual arguments for why you have a low GPA and why that does not represent you, you're going to have a hard time. We talked about this in the last episode, but the best way to do it is to talk about numbers. So talking about an upward trajectory, for example, if you had an overall 3.0, but you had a 4.0 in your past, in your last two years, like your junior, senior year, that's a great fact. Additionally, if you, you know, I'm trying to think about other good reasons, maybe a higher major GPA, like maybe you were pre-med and you absolutely bombed your science classes but you did well in your second major, that could be a good fact. But people often start talking about what I view as pretty bad reasons because one, they, the law school has to take you at your word and they're very hard, like reluctant to do that. So people will often say like, oh, I, you know, my grandma died, which like, yeah, it's, I don't know, maybe I should have phrased that differently. But the point is, is that saying grandma died in your GPA addendum, the law schools don't care. They don't care that grandma died. Like it's one of those things where, it's tough, but so what? And then maybe grandma died and you did tank that semester. And that's like the one semester where you got like a 2.0 and your other seven, you got a 4.0. But what I find is that most people writing about grandma died, it's not that they got a 2.0 in that one semester, but rather they got a 2.0 across all four years. And now they're trying to justify it retroactively. So yeah, if you did have one semester or a year that went poorly due to these outside circumstances, you could do it well. I find most people tend to really fuck that up and raise more questions in a document that's actually trying to answer questions about a low GPA. And most of them look like excuses. It's not universal, but if you're talking about these things, unless there's some numbers to back up why this is not representative of you, it's tough. And then I had a few people comment with various questions like, oh, I was, I was in undergrad 10 years ago. I'm a more serious person now. I didn't take school that seriously. And to them, I said, well, get a high LSAT. The best way to convey that you're a more serious person now is to show that the study habits and preparation you lacked in undergrad are now gone. You can do it for the LSAT. And 
yeah, I mean, that's the best way to do it. There were some other comments. No, no one got too aggressive this time. Occasionally when I post something like this, I get really um, negative responses, but I actually kind of consider posts like this to call the herd in a way where if I have people that are okay with having a low GPA and a low LSAT and making excuses, I, I'm probably not the LSAT prep for them anyways. Like, I don't know. I think I'm a nice person. I try to be kind, but I'm also not going to like blow smoke up people's asses and be like, no, a 2.9 is totally fine. And yeah, you working 10 hours a week is definitely relevant. Um, and yeah, your 2.9 and 145 is definitely going to end up in a great legal career. Like, I don't know. That's not me. It's one of those things where like, yes, you can write a GPA addendum, but there were stuff like people were saying about, yeah, it's just people write addendums poorly. That's the gist of that. And I just wanted to expand upon that. So if you're looking for a template to write an addendum, you started off with your LSAT GPA. My overall LSAC calculated GPA is blank. Then you say, however, and then whatever thing happened. Ideally, an increase in your GPA. Like I exhibited an upward trajectory or my major in my GPA and my major was much higher, something like that. And then you say, with this in mind, my GPA would be X. And it's just whatever calculation disregarding the bad things, whether that's your pre-med courses or your freshman year where you fucked off, but basically a recalculation. Now that recalculation is very important. If you're just going to complain about, oh, I was pre-med and that's why I have a low GPA. They already knew that. They saw your transcript. Like they saw you had a 2.9, but if you didn't get better, it didn't show improvement in other courses or once you switch out of pre-med, including that doesn't help you. In fact, it's calling attention back to a bad part of your application. So unless you have a very good like GPA addendum and a good reason for it, don't even bother. It's going to hurt you more than it helps. And yeah, it's one of those things where people push back and they do think that their reasons are unique, but this is what someone else in the admission space is called special snowflake syndrome, where everyone thinks they're the exception to the rule. Because yeah, there are good GPA addendums. Most of them are bad. Just like everyone thinks they have a good personal statement, but most of them are bad. And everyone thinks they're the exception. In all likelihood, you're not. But the key, as we talked about, is just keep it numbers-based. If you keep it numbers-based, there's not much to object to. They can't object to be like, oh, did Ben really have a higher GPA his junior and senior year? If you put it on the page, they can't argue with that. What they can argue with is how much did the loss of Ben's cat Fluffy affect his mental health? Because they might just think that I'm bullshitting and coming up with excuses. And in all transparency, that's what most of these addendums look like. Oh yeah, cool, cool. I also got an email about how to review questions on the LSAT. So we'll do an actual LSAT question on this LSAT podcast. Uh, not that we do that very often, but they wrote, would you be able to go over a methodology for reviewing questions you got incorrect and how to fully grasp and understand them? And yeah, I mean, I have a basic methodology. So the first thing is look to the passage and or the game to start off. Most mistakes happen in the setup, whether that's reading an argument, reading a passage or setting up your game. And they happen less so in the answers. The answers are actually really straightforward if you know what you're looking for. So in all likelihood, you didn't read the argument or passage well enough. It's not that you made a mistake in the questions, but if you did, that's where I would start. So the first thing is look back to that passage and really reckon with, did you understand this? You probably didn't, but spend some time there. Then you, I have a few other questions I would work my way down. First off, what tempted me about the wrong answer? Why did you pick this wrong answer? That's incorrect. There's something wrong about it empirically and you didn't catch that. So you need to identify that. Additionally, why'd you get rid of the right answer? What led you to getting rid of this correct answer? So, you know, go there. 
And then you can also ask, did you understand the question? Sometimes people, especially when they're newer to LSAT prep, aren't fully understanding what they're asking. So really make sure you understand what's what they're asking you. If they're asking you a flaw question and you brought in new information, you can't do that. Additionally, if they're asking you on reading comp a question with the word inferred in it, the LSAT does not mean inferred. They mean, what did the passage say? So maybe you misunderstood the word inferred to be licensed to bring in outside information and kind of fill in the gaps for them, but they're not asking you that. So make sure you're uh, understanding the question. And then also ask, how are you going to avoid these mistakes in the future? Did you go too quick? Did you not understand it? Because whatever's going wrong, you're going to have to figure that out. And that's where the value in review is. So I would expect most of your mistakes to be happening in the question about, did you misunderstand what was happening in the first place? Because on LR, if you've seen what's wrong with the argument, you know what the answer is going to be 90% of the time. On reading comp, if you understood it, you're, you're going to know the answer 100% of the time. And then on games, same thing as reading comp, you're going to know it 100% of the time. So people often think that it's the answers that are giving them trouble. It's not. It's the source material in the first place. You're not understanding the arguments well enough. You're not understanding the passages. And that's where you need to really dive in deep. Like, yeah, I can circle and words and answers and point out, like, yeah, you can't use this word over and over again in explanations. But the best way to not even have to worry about that is to understand the passage and the arguments better. And yeah, once you get there, then there is the repetition of just doing question over question to really drill those things in. Because there are like things you pick up on answer choices and how to avoid them and how to pick the right ones. But all that is downstream of understanding in the first place. And most people lack that understanding and that's why they're struggling. In fact, if you're not scoring at least like 165, I can guarantee you, you're, you are not understanding the passages, the arguments and the games as well as you think you are. Um, I certainly wasn't when I was scoring at that point. And I have yet to meet the person that really understands the source material, but struggles with the answers. That person, to my understanding, does not really exist. It's usually that they don't understand the source material and they're getting caught in the answers because the LSAT tells you when you picked a wrong answer. It doesn't tell you when you misunderstood the passage. So people have this kind of natural inclination to think they understood it because you know there, there's no red ding that says, oh, you misunderstood. It just says you got this question wrong. So people are like, oh, I missed something in the answer. And that's really not what typically happens. Okay, cool. Um, so with that in mind, I will be going to the interview. Thank you to Mallory for doing this. It's always awesome to talk to her. She's, I think, one of only two people I've ever had from Colorado, which is uh, kind of fun because, you know, it's where I'm from. So it's exciting. And then additionally, we just click. I always enjoy talking to her. And then for all of you, I think I did a pretty good job with the interview. That being said, like, this is new territory for me. So I'm figuring out how to, you know, better ask questions. I think I do this unfortunate thing where I will ask the same question twice, but in two different ways. So that's, you know, I am aware of that. I'm going to try to stop doing that going forwards. But for whatever reason, I just have an inclination to do that. Um, I am aware of it. I'm going to try to stop in future interviews. And then additionally, I tried really hard not to ever speak over her or have her speak over me to have one speaker at a time. That being said, I don't know that we were perfect. So we may fail. It may not be as polished as the, you know, product that I hope to get to. But I think for her first interview, it's really great. There's a lot of good stuff in there. She talks about her law school experience of being at Syracuse. She's also really busy with um, kiddos and just other life stuff. She has a broken leg, which she talks about that and how it impacts her 1L semester. And it's a part-time online program, which I know interests a lot of people. So hopefully you find that useful. If you have any questions or things you want on a future podcast, shoot me an email. I'm always happy to go into things and I need material. I had fewer questions this week, which is good because I was trying to keep things short with it being you know, um, an interview week. But if you have things, if you have a personal statement, 
just send like podcast in the title um, of your email. I guess subject would be the word, but either way, reach out. I'm happy to go in depth on any of this stuff. And yeah, I hope you enjoy the interview. So, hey everyone, this is Mallory Gage. She did LSAT and admissions with me, mostly LSAT back in 2022. She's now a 1L at Syracuse. So that's exciting. Um, yeah, Mallory, I guess, introduce yourself to everyone and let them know who you are and what you're about. Um, I'm Mallory. I am a, I just finished finals at Syracuse University. Um, I'm doing the JDI program. So it's hybrid. Um, I have two little kids. Uh, one's 15 months and one is three and a half. And I have a husband who is currently deployed and yeah, that's about it. Yeah. I'm a mountain so biker too, like through and through. So yeah, mountain biking is my life. I broke my leg at the beginning of the semester. So there was also that, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So that's gotta be quite the start. You're starting law school, your husband's off, um, while you have the kids and you broke your leg. How, how was that for the first, like, I guess few months, like what, how was the adjustment? I mean, I think it was, it actually worked out because it forced me to slow down. I did not realize how much work law school was going to be. Um, you know, the amount of hours putting in, and I only take two classes because I'm doing part-time. Um, but the amount of work I'm, I'm doing 30 to 40 hours a week. And so I think the broken leg was kind of like a blessing in hindsight because it forced me to sit down and not want to be outside on my mountain bike. Um, but yeah, law school is, is a lot. It is definitely a lot more than what I had anticipated. Yeah, it seems that pretty much everyone I talk to has that um, reaction. At least 30 to 40 hours, that seems reasonable. You've been able to keep some level of balance, though. Um, so yeah, why, why did you want to be a lawyer? What drove you to attend law school? Um, so I had a career in um, healthcare before this, um, and I kind of just got fed up with it, and I want to go into medical malpractice. So that's kind of my my thing. Um, and that's still the goal. I mean, after my first semester, I still want to do med mal and yeah, I mean, just a career change in my thirties. <laughs> nice. And so you said you were taking two classes. I know there's like the usual one L courses, but with it being part-time, you probably have, well, which two do you have? Um, I took civil procedure and torts. Okay. So I probably shouldn't admit this, but I still don't know what torts are. I just know the word. Um, what's the basic <laughs> rundown on that? Uh, so torts are, um, it's it's different than criminal law. So it's anything like um, your battery, you know, to negligence, to strict liability. Like you've got different things. Um, it's, it's like your civil law, basically. Okay, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Cool. And between that and is civil procedure, is that just like how you go through all the like courts and stuff? Or am I completely butchering that? Yeah, it, it's about the, you learn about like the constitution um, and how the federal rules of civil procedure are applied into the federal um, courts. So okay. yeah, you, you learn about like the balance between federal and state courts, basically. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. Um, sounds riveting. I've I think my first heads up that I shouldn't go to law school is on the reading comp passages. There's always the um, legal passage. And I just found my eyes blazing over every single time. Whereas I got like interested in the art ones and the science ones. So that was a good sign. But yeah, how has, I know reading is like the big boogeyman of law school. How has that been with law school? Is it 
reasonable? Um, I read an entire civil procedure book that was over a thousand pages. Um, it is a lot. And the material, I mean, like torts was pretty interesting. The cases, I also had like the world's best professor. I loved her. Um, but like civil procedure is pretty boring. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you hate reading law school may not, not be your jam because it is a ton of reading. And I can't imagine taking four classes at one time. Like that would be very overwhelming. Yeah. And yeah, it's so funny because I'll tell people like in, on the reading comp section, so, you know, take it to my world of LSAT that it's like, if you can't do these 18 sentences of relatively interesting topics on like the Aztecs or science, um, and sure, like some of them are brutal, but like, I have to imagine, not that I've looked at these cases, but some of them probably, you know, from the 1800s, I have to imagine you just yeah. like eyes out. Yeah. And it's, it, you're like, you're learning a new language basically while having to learn how to apply it. Like it, it's a, you get, I think the first semester is really overwhelming because you just don't know what to expect. You don't know what you're doing. Um, you don't know how to read cases and you're never taught any of that. It's you learn as you go basically. So yeah, I mean, reading cases from the mid 1800s, it's like, what am I reading? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess if you have any tips kind of going off of that, if you were like going to give advice to someone going into law school, what like big piece of advice would you give them to help avoid that? Um, I, my big piece of advice would be to go to every office hour with your professor. Um, and then, you know, if you don't understand something, there are resources out there. Like YouTube has a lot of stuff. Uh, Quimby is great for learning like those cases that are really hard to read. Um, but I think like leaning on your professor and their, their TA, um, you're getting like a good study group is really vital, you know, in the first semester. That way you can just like bounce ideas off each other. Um, ask questions. Like, don't be scared to ask questions in class. Like, seriously, that is like so many people do not talk in class. And it's like, you need to ask questions if you don't understand something because they're not going to stop and explain something if they don't know that you don't understand it. Right. And there's so many parallels to that with like what I do with the LSAT where I'll have like 20 people in class and three months later, I will remember two of them because most people just are kind of nameless, faceless in the void, which is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But like out of those 18 people, some of them probably aren't understanding things. And if they're not talking, you just don't even know. Like, well, it made sense to me. No one's saying it doesn't make sense. So like, I guess we're good. And yeah, that's why I remember you is because like you would, you know, if something didn't make sense, you would let me know and we would figure out what was going on. Um, so that's awesome. And you said getting a study group. You're obviously in the online program with Syracuse. How how is that? Are, do you guys meet over Zoom? How what is class? Look yeah, like? it's it's definitely a little different. I think that's one of the big differences between like my program and the traditional program. I I feel like I would enjoy um, the camaraderie of being in a residential, you know, like setting. Um, but I. I have a few study groups and, you know, we have like chats on through text messages. We meet through Zoom um, and it's just more of like to be like, uh, you know, like I'm overwhelmed this week. Like, did you do all the readings? Like, what do you think about this case? You know, 
And it, it's more of like, just to have like that support because you're, you're going into this and you feel like really alone. And like, like for me, you know, I would talk to my husband about stuff or, you know, my friends and they'd be like, Oh, cool. Like, sounds like you understand it. And it's really, it's like, I don't know if I understand it. So I think it's just, it's nice to have those people that are in the thick of it with you. So you can kind of just like, you know, complain almost. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they understand it in a way. I mean, I have a lot of people that sometimes I don't even do LSAT stuff with me, but they'll reach out after taking LSAT because their parents or friends don't understand like the achievement that they just made. And I do. Um, so yeah, that sounds overly positive. I've heard some negative stuff about law school camaraderie, maybe from other schools, maybe where you have the competition. Does it feel overly, I guess, supportive with each other or is there some? Oh level? yeah. I mean, you know, so like my situation's a little different because um, most of the people in my class are older. Um, the median age is 35, you know, so I think we've, you know, we've got some young people in our class, but I also have a 64 year old, like, so it's, it's very supportive. I don't, nobody's like trying, like I have exchanged outlines with people. They've given me their outlines. Like it doesn't feel super competitive. Um, even though like, I know at the end of the day, it is competitive, right? but it feels more supportive. And I, I really like that because even though I am a competitive person, you know, in mountain biking or cycling, whatever, like as far as law school goes, because I did so well on the LSAT and I got a good scholarship, I don't feel like I have to, you know, be a gunner in, in law school. You know what I mean? Like I don't need a top right. job to pay back student loans. So that's yeah. nice. That takes the pressure off of me. Yeah. And that is not a enviable position to be in where you have to be top 5% of your class or whatever the cutoffs are. Oh my gosh. Um, I can't even imagine trying to like get an A. I, I mean, if it happens, it happens. Cool. But like, you know, I've done the best that I can with what time I have, you know, with my two kids, it's really hard, you know? So I just feel like, you know, you just, you do the best you can. And I think as long as you, you pass and graduate, like it'll be fine. Yeah. You're qualified to take the bar and like, it, it all depends on ultimately what you want to do. Cause like, if you want right. to go work for some giant firm in New York, like, yeah, it probably does matter. But yeah, if that was your end goal, Syracuse might not have been the spot to begin with. Right. Um, not, not to Syracuse is a perfectly fine law school. Just um, I find people often going with eyes wide shut about the legal yeah. Job no, I mean, I think if I, like, if that was my position, I would have definitely, I mean, it, it just, yeah, it could have never been my position being with, uh, married to somebody who's active duty, but right. you know, like I, if I wanted to get into Harvard, I definitely like would have retaken the LSAT for sure. Yeah. You certainly were capable of more than you got, um, yeah. just from my perspective, but also what you got was totally sufficient for the outcomes you needed so like why bother squeezing right out more exactly yeah. you're already bubbling the 75th at every school you're looking at so like who cares um but yeah having seen people that like do continue to improve like i think you would have if you wanted to like you could have eventually gotten into like the 170s i don't see why you and also oh, yeah. you were i mean it, it was so. i think the hardest part about it was i was pregnant while yeah. doing it and the you know just the pregnancy brain is really hard um you know which sounds like a big excuse but man it it is really hard. <laughs> so I mean, 
Yeah, I hear a lot of excuses. I think pregnancy is on the more valid side of excuses. Um, and yeah, you took the August LSAT, and then when did you um give birth to your daughter? It was pretty. No, I I took June twenty twenty two. Oh, did you just take June? I just took June. Yeah, and then I had my daughter in August. Okay, so still though, that's like what I had seven. planned to take the August LSAT. It was a week before I was her due date. So I had like continued studying after the June LSAT because I was like, oh, you know, like I just don't know what I was going to get. And then yeah. they released, I don't remember when they released scores. I think it was in July. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm done. Like now I just focused on it. Like we did some admission stuff, you know, like personal right. statement and yeah. And then I was ready to apply the day I applied the day that admissions opened. So like, I think they open at like midnight and I was like on at midnight applying. Yeah. And it definitely signals like that you have, you're a type A person, you have your stuff together. Oh yeah. There's a lot of chatter online about how applying later is kind of okay, which no. is very self-serving for us in the admissions and LSAT space because it gets people to do stuff right now, which makes us money. Um, and I, I think people just fail to see that because like when someone says, Hey, you can totally apply with the March LSAT. What they're saying is pay for my tutoring now so that you can take the March test and then apply, which right. I mean, I, I'm not like as hard, like it has to be September 1st, but also like when people are saying, here's the schools that take the June LSAT. It's like, how do you sleep at night? That's just so bad to encourage. I, yeah. I mean, like my personality, I could never, like, I was fine with taking the August LSAT and then applying as soon as scores were released uh, right. in September, but I wanted my application in like I had everything ready, like to go, you know, so that I applied to all the schools that I could. Um, I got into every school that I wanted to get into. Um, and then, you know, I I got top scholarship at most of them. So yeah, I mean, and kind of going off of that, um, how quickly did you start hearing back from schools after applying in September? Um, some schools were a couple of months in like after applying and then you know, then some other, it was like five or six months later, like it just varied from school to school. Yeah. I guess the point there is even still, even if it was like two to three months, you're still hearing back before people in the current cycle have like even applied. So like, oh yeah. Yeah. Offers before others have even applied, which right. those that say, oh, the deadline's in March. Why does it matter if you apply early? It's because the seats and the scholarship money is already getting doled out. Like Exactly. It's, exactly. It, yeah. It's finite. They're, they don't have unlimited. So, right. Um, yeah, I I mean, you really only see the apply later from three groups, which are LSAT tutors who want more LSAT business, admissions consultants who want more admissions business, and the law schools who want more applications. You never exactly. really see it from like, I'd say like objective parties that are like, no, this is actually a good outcome because it's not. But I would um, apply immediately. Like that's just my personal advice. And that was uh, one of my good friends is currently uh in Wisconsin and she had taken the LSAT the year before me. She had done everything like a, a good year before me. And she was like, you know, take your LSAT study, give yourself time and then apply the moment that they open, like right. just get in and get it done. And, you know, like that's where all the money's at, you know, like get all your stuff done so that you're ready to go. And yeah, I mean that I, I just, I really think that that helped me a ton, you know, and yeah, I don't regret any of the way I did like my LSAT. Well, I mean, I wish I wasn't pregnant. I would have, I think I would have sure. done that, yeah. <laughs> but I can't really help that. So yeah, I mean, I think like, 
you know, working with you for as long as I did. And we met quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but even then, as far as like an LSAT timeline, it wasn't all that long. Um, because I think you did April, which is the first time that I re kind of booted my LSAT class through June. And it's so different now. It's pretty, I, I think you'd be amazed like how different class looks just because, you know, you do it for two years, you make changes. Um, yeah. But I think all for the better, for the most part. Um, the only thing I do differently, the big thing is I do answer polls now instead of people DMing me their answers, which oh, the bump yeah. is I don't know how every person is doing. Um, but I was getting really bad engagement for a while. I, I had a group of goofballs in my, um, actually right after you finished in August of 2022, that like made me almost quit LSAT because like they were just so atrocious and bad. I had like 20 kids and by the end of class, there'd be four left. It's like, I get it if you have like a doctor's appointment or something, but like do all of you have to take off every class early? Like it was just yeah. like a thousand cuts to my heart, but um, you know. But, I mean, uh, you can only do so much, right? Like it's on, like it was on me to like do the work. I met with you. I did the classes every Tuesday and Thursday, but then I also did private tutoring with you. I put in the work. I mean, granted, my score wasn't anything exciting, right? But like for what I needed, it was above the 75th percentile for every school I applied to. And like I put in the work, you know, I put right. in the time to to do it. And that's what it takes. So I mean, like to what you're saying, like you're you're you can only do so much, right? Like <laughs> Yeah. And I've gotten to the point where like every month now I do have someone that goes up like 20 points. So it's like, okay, it's something's clearly working. So right. For the people that, and that being said, I, I only had one negative, like, I'd say experience with someone that was in July of 2022. So like right after you finished. Um, but beyond that, it's, I mean, I do a really generous refund policy. Well, kind of generous where like, if you come to the first week of class and you hate it, I'll just refund you. Like, I, I don't right. care. But also like when people reach out like two months later and they're like, Hey, like, can I have my money back? I'm like, no, like, right. tough. Uh, you've had access to this for three months and you didn't show up. So like, <laughs> you're bad. Um, but yeah, so I guess with the LSAT, I know I met you in like April through June. How long had you been studying before that? Um, I want to say seriously, probably since February, maybe January. I wanted to give myself adequate time to like, you know, you know, like some people are like, oh, well, all you need is three months. And I, I think that that's not true. Um, I think you need yeah. longer than that. Um so yeah, I had met with a couple of other tutors who I did not really click with. Um, and that's when I came to you and me and you clicked immediately. So I was like, this is my dude. Like, that's why I just stayed with you until I took the LSAT. And then we did admission stuff after, you know? So yeah, our personalities clicked really well. And that's, you know, one part of it, but like also how you like taught was very uh straightforward which I appreciate <laughs> yeah so. and um and I think I've I mean it's funny because like that was relatively at the start of my LSAT stuff I've done so much since and I think I've gotten a lot better at communicating things but I just pulled up your own customer profile on my website um the amount you spent just to put it in like the math for one of the other tutors that you met with it would have gotten you a little over two hours at his prices for the whole amount so oh my, my god it was ridiculous yeah, I, you know, and that's the other thing is that like, it's so your prices were more affordable for me, you know, yeah, like, which I don't probably like, be like budget LSAT prep. That's not like the goal, but um, what I do try right. to do is reach more people at lower prices. Um, so instead of getting like 10 kids on the hook for 10K a year, which is legitimately the business model of some tutors, 
they just find the rich kids and try to milk them for all they're worth. Right. I just try to reach as many people as possible through my monthly courses because it's kind of scalable. And now I have a little bit more on-demand stuff, which is expanding. And then with that, you don't have to skin people for their right. crap. You can do it at much more reasonable prices. Um, well, and I, I don't think people realize how expensive um, like the admissions part of it is as well. Right, you just know, applying is like just applying is like you know it's a fortune, and I don't think people realize that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's like the whole thing is just kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, your prices were definitely way more affordable than anybody else I had like studied with or tutored with, and I mean that's definitely one factor of it, like the equation. But yeah, I mean. It's it's ridiculous how much people are charging for LSAT tutoring. Yeah, and I kind of get it because I personally don't do a lot of tutoring anymore. I, I find tutoring to actually be kind of annoying because the hour that you get paid for is really not all there is to it. There's the communicating with someone, arranging a time, getting ready. All like it kind of also breaks up your day when you have an hour meeting. It's not just an right. hour. Um, so I, I get why people charge a lot, and I think I charge two hundred an hour now, partly just because I don't want to do it, and like if you're willing to pay it. I'm happy to, but I really do steer people towards my courses. I think it's a much better value. Um, and then also like, it's more convenient for me on top of that, which is like, Oh yeah. The courses were great. I did that for, I think I did that for three months or yeah. two months at least. Um, yeah. I did the courses with you every Tuesday and Thursday. You know, I like, I think if somebody's going to sign up for the courses, they need to make the time to go to the courses. Right. Like, cause I think that's yeah. part of it. Like just signing up is not going to get you an LSAT score that you want. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I made the time to go and I usually had a kid with me. Um, so it's not, I, it wasn't ideal, but you know what? It worked. And yeah, I mean, I'm really happy with how my whole journey went um, as far as like LSAT and admissions uh, with you. Um, because you edited like my personal statement, like we did personal statement stuff um, yeah, we did a bunch of stuff for admissions too. I think. yeah, I'm pulling it up. I still have it in my Google Drive. Um, because we had a folder where we were. I know it wasn't like yeah, five, yeah, because I had to have like a few different um statements of like why I wanted to do online and like all these different things. But sure. oh, and then I had like a my I had a, like a uh what are they called for like my GPA? I think yeah, your addendum. I'm just looking at that right now. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's kind of funny because, and I, I'm doing that again, this year I have a lot more people I'm working with. I mean, just the nature of things, you have a right. wider audience, you work with more folks, but yeah, your your stuff, I mean, what's good about you is some people really resist some stuff, which, I mean, th there's always like, I always do things in a suggestion mode so people can take what they like, leave what they don't, because, you know, occasionally you have editorial differences and that's fine. Um but some people just pick bad topics and like get married to them. And it's like, you're going to like, for example, last year, and I, I hope this person's not listening. I know she's in law school, so it's not like personal, but she wrote about how her house burned down as her topic. But that, that was like mic drop. Like there was no like, and here's how I like helped my family recover or how I went through the insurance process. Just my house burned down. I'm like, that sucks. That's horrible. But like, yeah. are you going to be a lawyer based on that? Is that a sufficient condition for being a lawyer? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, like, we had talked about it because I, you know, being older, it's kind of like, ugh, you know, like, what do I talk about? Because I'm, I feel like, you know, I think we had talked about maybe like just doing like some positive stuff from my career and, 
Yeah. I, I can't even honestly remember what my personal statement was like, but it worked. Yeah. I mean, obviously like I got a yeah. nice fat scholarship and I'm super happy. So <laughs> also I guess to play devil's advocate, um, I guess it is always theoretically possible. You got in despite your personal statement where they're like, wow, Mallory's personal statement sucks, but I, I don't think that's the case at all. I just um, occasionally see people like I wrote about so-and-so in my personal statement and I got in therefore that must be the reason I'm like, well, not what was your LSAT? What was your GPA? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the scores like your LSAT and your GPA are definitely like 95% of it. Right. And then like the the little stuff is going to help. Like they'll be like, Oh, you know, Oh, this is really cool. Maybe they'll, you know, like, but like, is there LSAT there? Right. Cause they're not going to take somebody who's below the 25th just because they had like this awesome personal statement. Yeah. And I mean, they might, like, let's say there's a school admitting a thousand people, they might reserve 10 spots for those people, but that's 1% of the admitted class. Basically everyone else is getting in on their numbers. And it's one of those things where I think people tell a truth. Like there's one person actually lives by me, which is kind of funny. Like I like drive by his house when I like go into um, Boulder, but he, uh, he talks about admissions and he's really always emphasizing all that stuff. And it's like, dude, like I get that that's your business model, but also Remember, 99% of people are getting in based on their numbers and then like yeah. a check of their personal statement to make sure they're not a psycho. It's not, right. oh, this person like really affected me. And as someone who reads a lot of personal statements, everyone thinks they have a really good one. Most people don't. They all kind of read the same. Um, well, not, they don't all read the same, but they tend to kind of fall along with the same lines and everyone thinks, oh, mine's transformative. It'll carry. And if that's you, like probably not. It might, you might be the exception, but most people tend to overestimate the quality of their um, statement. So yeah, with um, your law school decisions, you ended up at Syracuse. Was that a close decision or was it the uh, most obviously correct school for you? Um, So I remember back in 2019, maybe 2018, I was, my my in-laws live up in upstate New York and we were, we were watching TV and it made the news that Syracuse had started a JDI program that it was going to be a hybrid. And I was like, Oh, that's where I'm going to go. You know, like immediately I told my husband, I told my, all my in-laws and I was like, this is where I'm going to go. And I went into my LSAT journey with needing a score above Syracuse's because that's where I wanted to go. And whenever I was applying to other schools and I applied probably to 11. I applied to every single hybrid school. And then I also applied to like a few in like non-hybrid ones just to like have negotiations, you know, I don't know. I applied to probably 15 schools and yeah, I got in, I got my acceptance to Syracuse and it was the highest scholarship. And I was torn between Syracuse and Northeastern because Northeastern is a hybrid program as well. Um, And they don't do grades basically um which is like very that's kind of nice in a way though like you know yeah yeah and so I actually talked to somebody from Northeastern who was doing their hybrid program and I was like hey this is my dilemma you know like they kind of align with my personal views my morals right like they have classes that I want to do that are for health law you know everything and he was like honestly if you got a fat scholarship from Syracuse go to Syracuse like it's not going to make a difference. <laughs> and so that like made my decision of like, this is where I'm going to go. And then I negotiated my scholarship. So I got a little bit more, um, 
but you can only get us the thing about hybrid programs is you're capped at scholarship so they do not ever give a hundred percent scholarship right that is something that people need to know and i think going into it it's kind of disheartening because you know like we've worked really hard to get here and we can't get a full scholarship but I got most of my school covered and then whatever else I didn't get covered, my, my husband gave me GI bill for. So I will have zero student loans coming out of law school, which is like the greatest feeling in the entire world. Like I cannot tell you like the thought of having $250,000 in loans, like gives me the biggest anxiety. So to know that I'm not going to have any student loans, like if I can do whatever job I want, it doesn't matter how much money I make, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. And just the pressure of having that. I mean, and it, it is fine. I think if you know for sure you're going to go into big law, but I also don't know how kids can know that. Like how, how can you know that you want to be a big law lawyer? You've never done it. Half yeah. of the people even get there quit within three years, which, and those are people that all thought they were going to stick with it and make partner at some firm and half of them quit within three years. So it's just, I think it's such a bad idea to plan on paying off these loans. And like, yeah, if you have to take out 10, 20 K, like that's one thing, but right. when we're talking six figures, it's just, so I know. Crazy. Like, and so many people are comfortable with that, you know? And it's like, I, you know, like, I, I don't know how applicable the LSAT is to like law school, but if it gets me free money, like I'm going to work my ass off to get that free money, you know? So sure. that everything that I make, like, I, I'm not, I don't feel pressured to do something after, you know, like if I want to go to a small firm or if I want to do non like nonprofit stuff, like I have the option and I don't have that, like, like doom, you know, over my head of like, okay, yeah. well you've, you've got now two mortgages with, you know, student loans basically. Cause that's what it's yeah. going to be with interest and everything repaying that that's, that is, you know, a thousand to two thousand dollars a month. Actually. Yeah, and arguably, it's um, it's so much worse than a real mortgage because it's at it's at seven percent. You can never yes. refinance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> along with that, you also don't have an asset. You can't like default on it and just like say, okay, repossess. It never go like you can never get out of student loans. Yeah. Like, and I don't, and I think it's like, you know, I'm just gonna blame it on my age, but like I don't think kids you know, that are 22, 23, I don't think they understand that, you know, and it's like, oh, I'll just take on $250,000 in debt. But it's like, you will, you will be paying that off for the rest of your life. Right. I mean, personally, I think back to when I was a sophomore in college, I had been pre-med my first year, and did poorly. My GPA was like 3.3 or something, which like, I guess for the average college student probably isn't that bad. But like for someone that had like aspirations in terms of like graduate school, it's not a good position to be in. Um, and I was like, I just need to get my grades up so I can just get into like CU law school and pay. And in hindsight, if I'd gone to CU law school and pay, that would have been a terrible, terrible decision. Like it just would have ended so yeah. horrible. Uh, well, in all likelihood, there are the five people that graduate that end up getting great jobs and paying their debt off right away, but it's the minority and everyone thinks it's going to be them. Or there's this whole disillusion, I think, of, or misunderstanding of how much lawyers actually make like it's still lawyers and doctors and the fact that lawyers and doctors are said in the same like clause just to me it no. doesn't it's lawyers don't make anything unless you go into big law and yeah I mean I think you're looking at like starting out at around 60 you know depending on which state you're in right like different states start out higher depending on cost of living or whatever but like most lawyers do not make 
that much money. Yeah. And if you're debt-free, 60K, you can have a good living. Um, right. If you're 200,000 in debt, you're just drowning for eternity and you will never right. escape, which exactly it's night and day. Um, I was looking at the Syracuse 509, which for those of you that don't know, a 509 report is basically a um, disclosure that all the schools have to do with their incoming class data. And what I noticed is um, they don't even have a part-time program listed on their 509. So they they messed up. They have broken their 509. Um, but then, and this is also last year's because 509s are a year delayed due to the way that the law schools release them. Um, but yeah, it looks like at Syracuse, about 41% get half to full, which then there's the breakdown of what is that? Is that like right over half or is it just under full? Because that can break down a lot of different ways. Um, you don't have to share your scholarship, but how, oh, how I, have seven, I have 70% scholarship. Okay. That's so I think the solid. max you can get at Syracuse for the JDI program is maybe 60 or 70%, maybe 80. I don't know. I yeah. like I negotiated once. Um, and yeah, I mean, so that left me, I did the math that left me with about $50,000 in debt after oh, having percent and then so, and that's like having killed the admissions process and done everything right yeah so. I mean that that's doing everything right um now if I had gone to the re like if I had done regular residential program I probably would have gotten a hundred percent um but because they don't do that for the hybrid program it's just it is what it is right and like I don't have any other choice to go because we move yeah. every couple of years so like I just knew I was going to have some debt um, but my husband came in on his white horse and was like, here, here's some GI bill, <laughs> take it and use it. So we don't have any debt. And then, cause you know, I mean, my kids are so little, if they want to go to college, I can use all of my income to put into a college fund for my kids. Cause I will not have any debt. Right. And knowing, you, um, not to say that you wouldn't, you know, give them all the opportunities in the world, but I have to imagine you'll also help them go through the college process, like yeah. eyes wide open, I think doing law school admissions, or even just going through the process, you realize how you can do it right and how you can do it wrong. So yeah. I look back at my undergrad admissions process. And I, I mean, for one, I sold myself short. I got into every school I applied to, which I think is like a sign that like, I probably didn't push high enough. Um, yeah. And then additionally, I, I didn't negotiate a scholarship or anything. I just like, I didn't even really consider the finances. I was just like, what school has the coolest campus for the next four-year vacation? Right. I'm going to go on, which I guess is like a very, um, grow up in like Boulder, Colorado way of viewing college, but you know, it is what it is. Um, yep. So and I, I was fortunate. I had parents that paid for most of college, so I didn't have to like worry about that, which helps. Yeah, um, that, that definitely does help. Yeah, definitely takes the pressure off. Um, I, mean, I was able to graduate debt-free, which is huge just for um, being able to do risky things. Like, I mean, I, I think like, I'm really fortunate. I think if I were like a more average person that I put myself through college, I might then have to say, okay, I'm not going to do LSAT and admissions. I'm going to try to just go to like a really good law school, which I could have, but then I would have ended up in a career I hated and, you know, right. that would have been a bummer. Um, which, yeah, I, I mean, for those of you that are listening and think law might not be for you, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe you should factor. And if not, like that's good too, but you know, it always is worth considering is this the field that you really want to do? Well, um, and then if you don't know, and you have $250,000 in debt, then you're stuck. Whereas if you have no debt and you're like, oh, I really don't like this career, then it's like, okay, what can I do next? Cause I don't have all that debt. Right. Like, so just yeah. getting like getting as much scholarship as you can is vital. I feel like, 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And just the freedom of like knowing that when you graduate, if you don't want to practice law, you don't have to. Exactly. Awesome. Exactly. To you know, like this, I'm not locked in. Um, so I am curious about some other JDI stuff. Do they have extracurriculars for you guys? Like I know law school has moot court, law review, all that good stuff. Are you guys involved? I know you're a 1L obviously, but how does that work? Yeah, I mean, you can do everything basically that the regular kids get. Um, they do Zoom for everything. I'm a part of um, a woman's law association um, at my school. Um, and we, you know, everything is Zoom and the, the, the residential students, they all meet in a room. And so like, I'm disconnected by that, you know, like I can't be in the physical room with them, but um, everything is very involving. Um, and yeah, I mean, like my um, tutor, well, she's like a TA basically. She was um, on, she's on law review, you know, and she's JDI, like it's nice. very, very inclusive. Um, the only thing that they don't do is offer some classes to JDI, like the, um, like the 3L classes where we get to pick what we want to take. Some of those classes are not offered. And so that's kind of a bummer. Um, but I mean, pretty much everything else is really inclusive and I, I'm really happy, um, at Syracuse. So yeah, and if I had to guess, I'm guessing it's just some dinosaur professor that doesn't want to set up like the Zoom camera. I'm um, sure. I'm sure it's so, something that's really stupid, you know, but it's fine. Yeah, but you know, it's a pretty small sacrifice for, you know, the freedom of being able to do it from wherever you have to be and right. managing your personal um, life. So, I mean, I guess with the other schools, because I know you were looking at several of the other online slash remote hybrid programs, um, you had to go to campus a lot more than Syracuse if you went, right? Yeah, so I actually apply like one of the schools, Santa Clara University. Um, I got a hundred percent scholarship there, and it was like non-conditional. It was just like amazing. Um, but I had to go once a month <laughs> to the yes. campus. And for somebody that lives in the Bay Area, that would be phenomenal. Like, or even like California, you could probably make it. Yeah. Better. Even California, but for me with two little kids and, you know, like now I'm going to be in Florida, like we're moving to Florida next week. Right. You know, like it just, it just did not make sense with the cost of a flight and hotel for the weekend once a month. I did the math and it was actually going to cost about the same as tuition. Um, sure. yeah. And so it just did not make sense to do that. Um, but yeah, like I think Dayton, you have to go a couple times a semester. Um, Northeastern was similar to Syracuse where you go like once a semester. Um, St. Mary's was also more frequent, which I don't, St. Mary's is just so low ranked and their scholarship was ridiculous and it was conditional. And Seattle yeah. also, you had to go, I think once or twice a, a semester. Um, but their scholarships are conditional. And I am so glad I did not do a conditional scholarship. Um, I think that's one thing where it was like, you know, everyone was like, oh, you're so smart. You'll do great. You don't have to worry about conditional scholarship. And it's like, now that I'm done with 1L or well, my first semester, I'm like, I can't imagine that pressure of like being above a certain GPA. Like that would be awful. So I'm glad I did not do right. conditional. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, having not gone to law school, like I was good at school. I 
got like once I figured out school, I got a 4.0 pretty easily every semester without much effort. So like I think I would do well in law school, but I just can't know. Like I've never done it. So like how can you even have an idea of it's something that like is not like anything else that you've ever right. done. It's nothing like undergrad. Like I feel like you can kind of, you know, skirt by an undergrad and like do fine law school like if you do not do the readings and you do not participate you're screwed uh it is it is really hard um you know and to some people it may be easy like who are naturally smart and great for them but I am not one of those people and yeah I mean it is really hard and everything weighs on that final exam you know like you get one grade and that's it so it's it's like pretty cutthroat. Yeah. And I have to say from talking to a few people, I think your mental health seems to be doing pretty well. And for being in law school, some people seem to not be doing so high that I've talked to. And I think a lot of that is they put themselves in positions where they have to perform. And if they don't perform their whole life kind of falls apart. Right. And yeah, it's just how, how, I mean, I would be stressed too. Like, I think they're reasonably stressed out. It's they've put themselves in that position. So yeah, I mean, it is, it is definitely stressful. Um, you know, I, I feel like me having two little kids and my husband being gone has been really hard. Luckily I have great friends and my family's here in Colorado. And so they, they've had, you know, they've helped me. Like I would not have been able to do this without certain people in my life. Um, but I've also done the work since week one, I've done all of the readings. I've done all of the briefings, I've participated in class. I have gone to office hours every single week. I have set up meetings with TAs every single week. Um, so for finals, yeah, it was super stressful. Um, but like, I don't know, I, I felt pretty good going into it. And, you know, hopefully it gets me a passing grade. Like, that's all I really care about. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll pass knowing you. But, you know, I, I just think that having that pressure off is so huge compared to where you it is it is and then like you know as far as like I think just knowing that if I'm not at the top of my class like I will still be okay because I don't have any debt (laughs) yeah it's just I I think it has to be night and day I I'm trying to even like put myself in the mental headspace of someone where I have to be top 20% of my class or my whole future plan falls apart and I just don't even, yeah, it, it's impossible to even like think about, but I do not it would be awful. Like I, I can't imagine. I mean, I think I could do it if I had to, but I just, I don't want to, I don't want to be that person. You know what I mean? Like I want to enjoy it. Right. And that yeah. could be just like having a different life experience, but like, I really enjoyed my first semester. It was hard, but like, it was you know, my classmates are all super fucking smart. Oh, sorry. I cut. No, you're good. You can swear. I, I hit the explicit tag on the, um, podcast, so I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, like in, they all come from different backgrounds. You know, I've got doctors in my class, you know, I've got people with multiple masters, like everybody's coming from a different background and it's, it's really nice to just be able to relax and like learn about these people and like, not feel like I have to have be the top, you know, 1% of my class. Cause yeah, I don't have You're to have a interested. job. <laughs> I, I'm meeting with um three other people. There were four of you that I sent that email to um, and everyone responded, which is awesome for all of you, but 
everyone has like good scholarships. Like maybe I should reach out to someone who I know isn't on scholarship to see like how they're feeling, see like what yes. this is like. Cause I'm, if, if that's you, like shoot me an email. Um, I'm very curious to hear what the mental state is like if you're under all that pressure. Cause I have to imagine it's a little brutal. Um, but yeah, I guess another question, have you changed your perspective on lawyers since being in law school? Have you like had any changes on that? Um, I, not really. I mean, and granted, I don't know a lot of lawyers and I don't like, I, yeah, I don't know. That's a hard question. I don't think so. I yeah, mean, if you don't have a good answer, you can always putt on it too, because it is kind of open-ended. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think like lawyers are the way that they are because of like, you're only going to be a lawyer if you're like a certain type of person. Because I think right. it takes a certain type of person to do what a lawyer does, you know, and like, it's like that type A, you know, like me, like crazy yeah. type A, like lists, right? Like we write out lists, we have like, if you're super unorganized and like, I just don't know how people do in law school with like being super unorganized and, you know, like not having their crap together because you, right. you have it together to, to get through. Well, this is where I think um, earlier you said you weren't sure how relevant the LSAT is. The content, I don't know if it's all that relevant. I think some parts are like reading carefully, that sort of thing. Being able to spot a sufficient assumption, maybe not as important, but like, you know. But what I do think is important is seeing like, can you figure something out and like get through this? Because right. like, I worry about the people that don't figure it out. And I, I see them where it's like they can't. I mean, you remember my homework schedule. It was pretty low key. I would be like, hey, do a section a day, review it. It's going to take you like an hour. Yeah. And the minority of people would do that. And it's like, guys, it's an hour. Like you have to get this done. But yeah, if you can't dedicate the time to studying the LSAT and think it's so hard and so like tough, law school is, is not going to be your friend. I will just say that because I've seen pe like, I've seen people saying, online that the LSAT is harder than law school and like I don't right. know who these people are it universally comes from people I think that aren't in law school that have like just done the LSAT I think it or or they'll be like oh I heard I have a 1L friend and I'm like shit I wish I was back to studying the LSAT it's so much easier you know I spend most of I carry my books everywhere like I if there's a moment where I can read I'm gonna read you know and so it's like, I don't know. I, I just feel like law school is significantly harder. Like they, they're, they're like apples and oranges, basically. That's yeah. how I feel about it. And I'm willing to believe that because I, I think about like what you need to succeed on the LSAT, maybe six months with like an hour to two a day and just showing yeah. up every day. That's yeah. the big, a lot of people, they take a lot of days off and that really hurts them. Um, but like, if you study an hour to two a day for all your law school classes, I have to imagine you're pretty quickly failing and just, oh yeah, it's, it's way more time than that. It's especially one L year because you're still just figuring out how to do things, right? Like right. we're all just figuring out how this works. Like no one knows what an outline is, you know? So it's like, we're all figuring all these things out. You know, I'm definitely learned a lot about myself and what I need to do for next semester to be more successful. So I'm not feeling so confused, um, you know, that I will apply to next semester and I'm hoping it goes better, you know, but like it, 
yeah, it's, it's apples and oranges. Like the LSAT, I think that some of the stuff on there is probably relevant. Like you said, with like, you know, slow reading, making sure you're digesting what you're reading, because if you're just reading and not understanding what you're reading, that there's a big problem there and you will not do well in law school. Yeah, that's one of the biggest thing, the, things the LSAT is testing. There are like little, I'd say, nitpicky things that you really just learn for the LSAT. Like, don't infer when they say infer. It's such a stupid LSAT trick, but, like, it is real. Yeah. Um, but like, that, that doesn't meaningfully helpful help you in the future. But, yeah, as far as being organized, reading carefully, that stuff, I think, applies pretty well. Um, but, yeah, where was I going to go next? I had another question, but I've lost it. Um. So yeah, I guess, how has your life been other than um, law school? Like, how was the past semester with, you know, still two young kids, your husband's gone and adjusting to the new? Like, are you able to still make time for your mountain biking and just general recreation? Well, I, yeah, I just started walking again um, because I had broken my leg. I shattered my ankle right before. um, Yeah, not fun. So I, there's been a lot of hurdles for me, just with like not being able to work out. And like, that's a big part of like who I am. I mean, you can see my, my bike, my Peloton on the back, you know, like I just riding is such a huge part of my life. Um, but I think it's, you know, I really enjoy law school. So it's been fine because I like learning the stuff I like reading and it's so different than anything I've ever done. Um, and I, I was an English major, you know, so I, I know how to read and like apply stuff, but it's still, it's so different from that, you know? And yeah, I mean, I've just, I've, I've really enjoyed it so far, you know, I mean, but I also had great teachers. I had one great teacher. The other one I didn't really care for, but yeah. yeah. Well, one for two, that's a 50%. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it could be worse. Um, But you think back to education, most of them aren't great. So to even have one right off the bat is Awesome. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I plan to take every class that she offers because she's so good. Like she's phenomenal and she really cares. Um, but it's just, you know, it's such a learning curve, right? Like it's so steep too. Um you get like 12 weeks to like learn the material and apply it because that's what the final test is, is like applying everything that you've learned and it's typing as fast as you can, basically, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and then your entire grade is that final. So yeah, I've heard. I actually heard that a long time ago, and I totally—it's been like deep in my brain since then. I, I haven't thought about it, but if you're a bad typer, is that going to set you back in law school? Like, will that? Oh yeah. yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, like, you know, my—I had three hours for my torts final, and I'm pretty fast at typing, and I could have used another half hour to like to really get more on the paper. Like I, I probably, you know, 10, 12,000 words for that okay. final and it, yeah. it's a lot. And it's like, you're just like you typing know, nonstop then, I guess. Like just, yeah. I mean, you're just like, I, you know, like there was a, a few multiple choice questions that she threw in there. Um, but it was, it's a lot. It's like, you know, you're thinking on the fly you know, like what applies, what doesn't apply, but then you have to like go into a deep analysis, right? Like, it's not just saying, Hey, this applies. Why does it apply? You know, like tell me the law and why does the law apply here? 
and what courts will do what, right? Because every state court is a little different. Different states do different things. So you've got to know all of that and memorize it because most things are closed, closed note, closed book. So yeah. It's... Yeah. Well, that's, it sounds like a lot. Um, I have to imagine those three hours are just like quite the whirlwind of like being, I guess if you're engaged in it, it probably feels like you kind of get into a flow state, or at least I hope you would, because otherwise I have to imagine it doesn't go too well, but how, yeah. how did you feel coming out of them? Did they feel like you did a good job? Yeah. I mean, I felt like I definitely passed. I don't know if I got a good, like a top grade, but I'm okay with that. Um, I felt good coming out of it. I think, you know, like thinking back, oh, I probably could have done this different. And I probably could have gone, you know, like flushed this out more, but I mean, I, I felt good. Like I, I've got two solid outlines and, you know, I tried to remember as much stuff as possible and hopefully it like works in my favor. <laughs> yeah. I think that's kind of, well, I mean, I have no clue, but it sounds like that's all you can do. It's just like going as best as possible and yeah. I'll do that. Do you know what two courses you're taking? Well, I'm sure you do, but what two classes are you taking in the spring? Um, so I am taking contracts and LCR one. So like a legal writing course. Oh yeah. Well, hopefully, I mean, I think you would be well prepared for that considering you're probably a little bit more legally sharp or sharp in your writing than the average person might yeah, be. Yeah, I'm I I have no idea what to expect with the legal writing class because it's not like a typical class where you're like doing cases and briefing and you know all that stuff. So yeah. it'll and I, I think like there's no final. I think you just have like a final paper. So yeah, know. I mean if you're good at that, that's awesome though. Um and that being said, I have no idea how legal writing translates to just general writing. But I have to imagine not being fluffy and verbose. Oh yeah. Good skill. There's nothing fluffy about law school. Um, <laughs> you know, which I think like, you know, like you were talking like personal statements, like a lot of people are fluffy on their personal statements. And it's yeah. Fluff gets you nowhere in the yeah, law. Man. For what it's worth, for those of you that are listening, um, you know, pretty much everyone's personal statement is bad. So it's not that much of a reflection on you and most people submit them as is so like the average person say it's pretty trash you can fix them you can get help i have a whole video of me editing like four or five on youtube because i can do that without getting lsac copyright striked um so that's fun and they were i just asked for five random four random ones and all four were like really bad so it's pretty it's a good sampling of showing like what the average personal statement happens to look like but the sad thing about all of them is like all of them had really good stuff that like could be pivoted into like good statement. Just the way they were presented was um pretty bad. All right. Well, I just have one final um, kind of off-topic question, but it's a personal curiosity. I was watching back one of our old recordings from like April or May. This was a while ago. Um, but did you have a whoop? Was that something that you had? Or am I like yeah. hallucinating? Okay, yeah. So I became a whoop person um about a year ago and it has completely transformed my life. Are you still doing it or have you moved on? Um, I I do not because I my kids don't sleep. So um, I used it. I liked it, but it was all I was always in the red. Yeah, I have to imagine. Um, I did not get any sleep. And so it was kind of like, this is a waste of my money. But I think um, Whoop is great, man. I It gives you so much like information into like your body if you're not aware of your body um especially as like an athlete 
you know, like knowing, you know, today, like maybe not your best day and the whoop will let you know that pretty much. Yeah, it's confirmation of like, are you actually recovered or are, well, cause like sometimes you just feel a little slow, but if you're looking yeah. at it, says you're like 84% recovered, it's like, okay, maybe I'm just like the problem and yeah. I'm actually good to go. Cause I, mean, I think it's been great for me because I was a like five, six day a week. Um, I would just lift and like, I guess it's good for like, you know, getting bigger, but as far as like overall health, maybe not the best. Um, yeah. but now I like do a pretty even split between cardio and, um, lifting, which I think like my health has gotten so much better with it, which as with all things, it's just data. Like if you don't do anything with it, it's useless. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like a lot of my friends have it. Um, and you know, I think it's informative for especially women, um, with like your menstrual cycle, you know, cause yeah, you go through that. different stages of the menstrual cycle. And I think it, it is, it kind of like can let you know when you're in different phases of the menstrual cycle, um, and how you will perform in those stages. And, you know, like it was nice for me after I had my, my kids, because I I've been nursing, um, for three years straight. It's torture. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it accounts for like lactation and pregnancy and like all these different things. So it definitely gives you a lot of information. If you're a data junkie, like the whoop is phenomenal. And I I just have to ask because like, I don't know anyone with it. I'm like the only person where I know like one guy, but like I see him like occasionally because someone I play Frisbee with. So I see him like maybe twice a year. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting and I found it to be really cool, but yeah, I mean, I have to imagine if you're not sleeping and just seeing the red all day, probably. Yeah. I mean, that's why I stopped. Otherwise, I would probably still have it. My husband used it a lot. He also tried the aura ring. Um, oh, okay, yeah. But he has a heart condition. So his heart rate variability is not normal. And so Whoop and Aura did not know how to register that. Oh, I see. Okay. So it was always off for him. He was, he stayed at like 1% recovered because his heart rate variability is different than like a normal person's. Right. Um, and they just rely so heavily on that. But. It relies like a hundred percent on heart rate variability, which is really cool. If like you have a normal one, like I have a normal heart rate variability. So like it read perfectly for me, but my problem was the sleep. But yeah, I mean, like, I wonder what it would be now with law school and stress. <laughs> yeah, that's actually where I was going to go with that. But um, yeah, yeah, I I would right imagine now. the stress would definitely trigger the whoop and the heart rate variability um, because yeah. it is so stressful being in law school. Yeah. Well, what I've noticed is that when I like work a long day, like I I won't even do that much. Like all um, because I use it mostly for this training because I had a habit of like overtraining and kind of just running myself into the ground. Um, but I'll like do a lift or something and get to like 12 strand through that. And then through working, I'll get up to like 17, which like is odd for me. Just that like, I guess my heart rate gets like escalated enough. Cause like I'm doing pretty active work when I'm doing stuff. It's not just like sitting there. It's like, I don't know, actually um, working on things like pretty mentally engaging, but I was just surprised. I was wondering like if law school work had the same impact, but. Oh, I, I would imagine so. I mean, it's, it's super stressful. Like, you know, cold calls, that'll get your heart right. rate up. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. How, how did cold calls go? Was that relatively okay? Um, as long as you do the reading, it's fine. But yeah. there were a couple of people in my class who 
like did not do the reading and you could tell. And the professor would be like, oh, did you actually read? And, you know, like they would be like, no, I didn't read the case. And she, you know, she like see me after class. Yeah, not a great Which position. is never good. <laughs> I did yes. hear one strategy, which might be totally BS because like I have no clue, but I heard like someone just said just prep for the final all semester and just disregard the cases. And you, like if you get cold called, it's not a big deal. Um, and you'll just look stupid. But I think this was like out of school where it was 100%. I don't know. And I think maybe the finals included all the cases. I have no idea. I heard that, but it seems That's to be reaction. terrible that advice. I don't know who told you that, but that is the worst advice I have ever heard. Well, just um, on Reddit, so, you know, it fits, but. I mean, I, you, if you don't read the cases, you don't know the law. So, you know, the way our country works is we, we use the law from cases. Right. And if you're going to be a lawyer and you're looking up stuff, you're reading cases. Like it's very similar to law school. Like you're still, you know, like we still pull everything from case law. So yeah, yeah to say don't read, I don't know how somebody would study for the final if they hadn't read the cases. So like, I don't yeah. know who told you that. That is insane. Do not, if you're listening to this podcast, do not do that in law yeah. school. Well, like, I think the, um, the lesson from that is that I like to think of myself as a pretty critical, like able to figure out what's real and what's not. Even I hop on Reddit and I'm able to take totally terrible advice and think there might be some merit to it which I find to be the case all the time on Reddit because, you know, everyone's just spewing on there. Um, people just say all sorts of crap and, you know, it could be valid, it could be invalid, but you really have no way of knowing because it's just some random account posting and maybe yeah. they know what they're talking about. Maybe they're just saying, don't read any of the cases, it'll go fine. Um, and that's, that's not true yeah. at all. Don't, yeah, do not. That is the worst advice I have ever heard. That, yeah, everything in order to study for the final, you have to read the cases otherwise you're not going to know what to study for the final basically yeah like, well, that's <laughs> good to hear I'm, I'm glad that it's um bad advice well I mean I guess I'm not glad because I thought I knew like some hack and I haven't been telling anyone this because I have no clue I have no authority to tell anyone like how to do law school but it sounds like that guy is totally full of it and incorrect so yeah he um, is he is yeah. very incorrect unless he's going to like some one-off school that like I don't know but yeah all of my friends in law school we all read the cases because that's how you get the law from like you know like that's how you apply it you have to learn the law in order to apply it and applying it is the final like that's the whole basis of the final is all that right, cool <laughs> yeah um and yeah if you don't know the case like how could you possibly like aggregate that and then yeah I guess after thinking through it it makes sense I thought I, I don't know I, I was like tempted by it I'm I'm totally convinced that like you're correct it's just it's so funny that like I could so easily be um convinced by something that's just so full of crap just because you don't know better and I'm sure the same thing happens all the time with admissions and the LSAT more broadly but for one final kind of legal question do you know what you want to do um job slash career-wise once you graduate or is that still up in the air no, I'm, I'm going to, I mean, I will probably do like a health law or med mal. I mean, I don't, I don't see that changing really. Um, unless I get into like something, you know, like 
if I take like my, cause I'll have to take criminal law in the fall. Um, you know, and unless like, that's like something I'm love, you know, maybe I would do that, but I, I don't foresee that. Um, I'm definitely probably going to do something health related in the legal world. Yeah. Maybe you can be like the Frank Azar of the health law world. <laughs> <Odd> Frank Azar. <laughs> um, I, I actually think Frank Azar is an inspirational story. He went to DU and has created such a large firm. I mean, the the, the he, he's a Colorado lawyer, for those of you listening who have no clue what we're talking about, but he's like the personal injury guy of Colorado and he's yeah. got the market pretty locked down. It's Oh, um, yeah. Um, yeah. And he has like, I don't know. I, I think he's amusing. I, I don't know that I would ever hire him, but he's. Yeah, I, I don't think I would ever hire any of those guys that are like on T, like Hoiser and Hoiser. No, not. Yeah. <laughs> when you really see it, like, I think we're lucky in Colorado. We don't really have a lot of billboards and stuff, or at least I don't ever really see any. But I went to New Mexico. And it's just like, there's a personal injury lawyer, every other billboard. It's just yeah. wild. So I guess if you um are looking to personal injury, maybe New Mexico is the place to be. Um. But yeah, I guess just to kind of wrap things up, do you have any final thoughts or things you want to leave folks with that are currently in the process of applying to law school and figuring out their legal future? Uh, take the LSAT before the games are taken away. Because <laughs> um, the games are your friend. And yeah, I mean, get ready to apply at the beginning of application. Like as soon as admissions opens, I really think that that is super valid advice. I think waiting until the last minute is not going to help you. I have a friend who applied um, in June of like right before school was starting and she got admitted like a week before and she, it was like a scramble to like get everything ready. She, you know, like her books were delayed um, because she couldn't like she had a week to get her stuff together and I like highly do not recommend that like get your applications in know where you're gonna go like you know figure everything out before so like the stress is not there you know like the first week of school you're not like stressed getting your books and all that other stuff that's my my biggest advice and like you know, get help with your, your essays and stuff. Cause you may think you're a good writer, but you're really not. Yeah. No one's a good writer. I mean, I even like fun fact, I guess I didn't mention this, but when I was writing my little LSAT introductory book, I actually had Mallory here, like kind of look through some of the chapters because you miss things in your own writing and you might think you're the you best do. writer. In the yeah. world. Like you always do. You just, I mean, I, I have written a million papers, like being an English major, I got, you know, I, I did a like significant studies in like Shakespeare, you know, so I did a lot of British literature and, but like, still I wanted, I wanted you to look at it because, you know, like, it's always just good to have a second set of eyes and have multiple iterations of it. Right. Like, I think I wrote like two different personal statements and finally decided on the one that I, you know, I think you helped me decide like what to write about and, you know, what, it's, I don't know. Yeah. My personal statement was not fluffy at all. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was good. And like, was it a 99 percentile personal statement? Like in all transparency, probably not, but also it definitely wasn't a bad one. And it, I would probably put it like the 90th percentile for sure, which when you already are there numbers wise, and you're just making yeah. sure you check the boxes, it's perfect. In fact, yeah. you probably don't want to take the risk to be a 99th percentile because it can also go the other way. And no, it absolutely can. Like if you're, you know, like if you're too good, they're going to be like, oh, well, she's just going to say no. 
to our school. So we're not going to offer her anything. Right. Like there's such a, such a like weird admission, right? Like the whole game is just so weird, but that's what it is. It's a game. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just happy that I did what I did (laughs) because it set me up for success, right? Like everything that I did, all the work I put into it, doing all the tutoring and like the admission stuff, it helped me be ready for September 1st. And I got those applications in and like, I could breathe, you know, for a minute. Yeah. Until well, like, you yeah, like, you also second guess yourself. Like what could have been if I had just done this right? Cause you did do it right. So you don't have those. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And then you can like take a little time off from like worrying about admissions. And then once you get all of your acceptances, you know, which I did, then the hard work, like, then it's like, oh shit, where am I going to go? You know, like now I've got too many options and which is never a bad thing, you know, right? Like it's, I didn't get accepted to Yale or Harvard, but you know, I still had really good options. And yeah, I mean, that was a nice feeling to be like, okay, here's 12 schools that all want me. Like, how do I decide where I want to go? Yeah. It's just such a good position to be in. Um, like you said, like I endorse everything you said, basically you just want to do everything right. So then when the time does come, you have good options instead of like, just hoping that that final school accepts you instead of waitlist you. Cause at that point you've already lost, like, there's just nothing you can do. Well, yeah. And like, stop complaining about the LSAT. Like it's not going anywhere. Yeah, I lost some sleep over that when the ABA started talking about it because, like, I don't know. I've put a lot. I'm 24. I could pivot, but I put a lot into, you know, doing the LSAT full time and other things. So I was a little worried, but the more I thought about it, the more I got, okay, we're fine. Like, this isn't going anywhere. Law school still need to evaluate applicants. Right. Um, it, you know, I mean, where else would they go? The GRE? Like, I just don't foresee them pivoting yeah. to the GRE. Well, several yeah. of the deans, I think 50 or 60 deans wrote an open letter to the ABA saying, hey, don't get rid of the LSAT. We need it. Um, or even if you do, we're going to keep using it. So, yeah. And yeah, it's, the, it's, it's like the MCAT. Like the MCAT's not going anywhere. It's technically, the MCAT's not even required, technically. They just require it, though, because they have to. Like they have to evaluate right. somehow. They so, have to be able to weed the people out, right? Like yeah. they have to have some sort of filter. And that's yeah, it. Exactly. Um, so I'm, I think the LSAT might evolve, like things might change, they might change the test, but like they will never get rid of a test or some way to evaluate people as GPA. Well, if it's like, if you do the work to like get a decent score, I think a lot of people just like, you know, like we were talking about somebody else that I studied with and like, they just didn't want to do in the work, the work to like get the score. But it's like, if you like put in the time and effort like just I don't know just do yeah, it and also <laughs> if you really do put in the time and the effort and you're still unable to get past like 155 150 like I really worry about like how you're gonna then compete in future I guess academic competitions yeah. which like law school kind of is in a way um, it absolutely is I mean unless you're like, a school that doesn't have grades right like then yeah. it's a little different but yeah I mean it it is definitely a competition because if you are below right like because you have a curve in law school so like they have to give a certain amount of low grades like that's just how it is and if you're one of those people then you're in trouble so yeah I don't know awesome well I think it's been a lot of really good advice for folks hopefully they uh, take it to heart and don't just (laughs) shrug it off um as many do as someone who gives a lot of advice you see a lot of that but you know if you've helped one person go to law school for free or something then 
it's all good work. So yeah, yeah thank you so much, Mallory. Yeah, no problem.